title of the series is Fruit by the Foot. And this is where it comes from. Um, in John 15, 4 through 5, it says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't bear any fruit outside of Jesus. These fruits of the Spirit, they just, they just rot. They become nothing in our life if we don't have Jesus. They, they really just don't show up. And, I mean, it doesn't take long to live in the world and see that reality, right? The people that are in the church should be the most loving people, right? Should be. They should be the kindest. Thank you. (laughs) See what I did there? That was a very kind thing, right? But oftentimes that's not the truth. It's not the case, right? But we're supposed to be. We're called to live this way. We're called to choose to live by the Spirit and that these character qualities are going to come out in you. As you abide in Christ, you'll bear fruit. The fruit that Jesus was talking about wasn't having a super awesome car. It wasn't having a several million dollar house. It was having things that actually last and make a difference in the world. And those things are the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, this is where this is found. And John, you can pull that up. I've got NIV for this translation here, specifically. And I'll explain why in a second. It says, for the fruits of the Spirit. This is what they are. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. NIV says forbearance instead of patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you want to know what the passions and desires of the flesh are, you just have to look a few verses before that, and Paul explains it pretty easily. So, yes, that's one of them. (laughs) We're calling this series Fruit by the Foot because we want the fruit in our lives of the Holy Spirit to be abundant. I don't want to be skimping on my abundance of fruit. I want it to be something... That's great. I want it to be something where people look at me and they say, you know, that's somebody who loves well. That's somebody who's very kind. That's somebody who's got a lot of self-control. That person's really patient, very gentle. Like, I can trust them to be those things. My question for you is, when people think of you, are these the things they think of? When they think of you, do they go, wow, that's a very loving person. Or do they think, man, that person is short-tempered. They're a loose cannon. You never know what they're going to do. And if you do something wrong against them, you don't know what they're going to do to you. Are they going to blast you? Are they going to betray you? Or are they going to forgive you? I know for me, I want people to think of me as somebody who exemplifies these. Do you guys? I hope so. And I think... I think this is just the, the perfect series to segue out of, to transition out of the Cultivating Growth series. Because we, we talked about cultivating growth in your life. How do you grow in your faith? Well, your growth should produce this. This should be what's happening. 
There was a guy that I talked to a long time ago who was explaining the fruits of the Spirit, and he said he had a boss who told him, when the pressure's on, when life is squeezing you, what comes out of you? Is it anger? Is it jealousy? Is it envy? Is it any of the fruits of the flesh? Or is it the fruits of the Spirit that seem to come out of you? Does patience show itself? Or does impatience? Does forgiveness show itself? Or is it bitterness? What comes out of you when, when things get difficult, when things get hard? Because they're going to get hard from time to time. Life isn't always easy. Amen? Like Jesus said, you cannot bear fruit without being connected to the vine. And we want to be people who bear much fruit. And I was thinking about a question, Ellie. This is just a thought that I had when I was putting this together. I was like, out of all the fruits of the Spirit, joy. That's one I look at and I go, I wouldn't have picked that. If you were to think of nine character traits of somebody who follows Jesus, what would you put? You'd probably put somebody who's loving, right? You'd probably put kindness, right? You picked it, right? Nobody else did, so they wouldn't pick it. <laughs> You'd probably pick being showing goodness, doing good things. You'd probably pick self-control because it's important to control yourself and not lash out and do things that you shouldn't be doing, right? Discipline, that's one you would pick. Humility is one I would pick. I would be like, why is humble isn't there? Humility's not there. Doesn't mean it's not important. But I see joy and I go, I never would have picked that one, which is why it's not a list that people made but it's one that comes from God. When you look through Scripture, you see joy is very prominent throughout the Bible. It shows up a lot. Now, it's not the only thing that shows up. There's sorrow that shows up from time to time, too. But joy is something that should be in the believer. Do you guys think joy fills the people in the church today? Or when you look at people in the church, do you think they're somber, emotionless, or maybe just sorrowful. They look like they're just having the worst day of their life all the time. <laughs> Stoic. All the pictures of Jesus you often see painted is just this, like, very somber person. Yeah, he's... You don't see somebody who's full of joy when it says that we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord. Well, it's literally his joy, right? There should be joy present. And I think Jesus was a very joyful person. He wasn't always joyful. It also says that he had sorrow upon sorrow amongst his life. Because, I mean, he was a man of many sorrows. He was going to die for the sins of mankind, right? But he was somebody who did have joy. He'd look out on compassion with people. He'd see the crowds, and he would move him, and he would heal people. I mean, I would imagine as he's healing people, he wouldn't be going, next person, anyone else sick? need healing, in my name be healed. Okay, anyone else? No, I'm sure he'd be like, yes! Your leg just grew four inches because it was shorter than the other one, and I prayed it. Now you're not going to have back problems like you've been having. Let's go, right? Get right, devil. <laughs> but this is something that I thought of. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and it's there for a reason. And here's the thing. It's number two. <laughs> it's listed second. 
I've heard it said that there's really only one fruit of the Spirit, and that's love, and then everything that comes after it is just a more specific explanation of it. Because you can't, you can't have love and not be kind, right? You can't have love and be an incredibly impatient person. You can't have love and not be having self-control, right? And you can do that with every single one of them. The Greek word translated joy in this passage found in Galatians is the word kara. Everyone say kara. There you go. Awesome. You guys are professional Greek scholars. <laughs> no, I probably didn't say it very well either. <laughs> I say very well. You guys didn't either, okay? But this word shows up 59 times in the New Testament. That's quite a bit, right? And then you take the verb form of the word, because that was the noun form, but there's a verb form of the word, and this is, it's like the, the word Cairo, like Egypt, but instead it's more Cairo, Cairo. So it's just as much phlegm as you can get in your throat, that's the way you say it. Okay? But this word is the verb form of it, and that occurs 74 times. That means to rejoice, to be filled with joy and it be seen. You're rejoicing. You're full of joy, and it shows. That word shows up 74 times. So you put those two together, you got over 130 times that the subject of joy comes up in the New Testament. Clearly, God thinks it's important, right? And I think you, we look around the world today, and there's a lot to not be joyful about, right? You guys look at your schools. Do you think... Your classmates are full of joy as they walk about their day? You do? It depends on the day, I guess, right? If it's Friday, yes. <laughs> if it's Monday, no. <laughs> huh? We all have the love of God? I hope so. So, this subject of joy, it's important to God. It's the second listing of the fruits of the Spirit, which means it should be something that we take seriously. We should pay attention to it. If your life isn't being filled with joy, and if you're not having moments of being joyful, why not? That's not God's will for you. That's not the Spirit of God living in abundance inside you. That's something else trying to hijack your life. That's something else trying to take over and take control of the things that you're dealing with. Joy is something that is a choice. It's not, it's not just some emotion. It's a decision you actually make to be joyful. It's a choice that you choose to make. Happy, it's different than happiness, because happiness is just based off your circumstances. It's just an emotion that you're feeling based off your situation. But you can be joyful in the midst of tragedy. It doesn't mean that you're just always have a smile on your face. <laughs> but it also means you're not always walking around with a frown on your face either. <laughs> Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet. Do you believe that? I do. Because <laughs> we have reasons to be joyful. People that live in the world, if they're not joyful, I'm not surprised. Because when it comes to the truth of the gospel, they're without hope. 
for their life. But if you've called on the name Jesus and you say, he's my Lord, he's my Savior, he's in charge, I choose to live for him, you have great reason to be full of joy. Let me share some with you to show this to be true. Luke 10, verse 20, and this is New Living Translation. This is Jesus. After the disciples go out, the disciples are out in pairs, two by two. They're, they're going out. They're making a difference in their towns. And, and Jesus says, go out, heal the sick, lay hands on them, cast out demons, raise the dead, and come back to me and report what you saw. So this is what they do. They come back, and they're like, man, this is crazy. Even demons listen to us. Evil spirits are actually listening to us. That's crazy. My own children don't listen to me. <laughs> That's just a joke. <laughs> Luke 10, 20. Hey, you guys always listen to your parents? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So it says, this is what Jesus responds to them. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Think about that. You literally are casting demons out of people, and Jesus is like, that's not the thing to get excited about. You know what's really the big thing? You're saved. You are set free from sin. That's reason to rejoice. We have so much to rejoice about. That alone changes everything, right? I'm convinced the people that aren't full of joy in their life never think about that reality. Because if they did, they like actually thought about it. The word meditate, which is like chewing a cow chewing on a cud. It just chews on it and chews on it and chews on it. They sit there forever. <laughs> it's sitting there and thinking on this reality and going, wow. And then you think on it again and go, wow. <laughs> That blows my mind. Jesus is saying this is reason to get excited. This makes you rejoice. At least it should. Jesus is basically saying, of course evil spirits obey you. Do you know why? Because your name's in heaven. Because you belong to me. They have to. <laughs> you just telling them get out of here does nothing. But when you have me. It changes everything. That's why we have reason to rejoice. Amen? Amen? Colossians 1, 13 through 14, New Living Translation, it says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Guys, this is huge. <laughs> Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. You have reason for joy. Why? Because you're forgiven. Imagine you did just like the most horrible thing imaginable. Let's go there. Murder. <laughs> Say you killed somebody. You're on the stand. You're standing before a judge. And you know <laughs> all the evidence points against me. It's clear. I did it. I know I did it. And everybody else knows I did it. It's clear. And he's there, and he's ready to give you your sentence of what you're to expect. Depending on the state, could be the death penalty. Could be life in prison. 
firing squad. <laughs> That's what you said. <laughs> Different countries, they're firing squad. <laughs> and then you're standing there, and the judge says, I know you did it, but somebody else decided to take your sentence. What would happen to you? You'd maybe fall down on your knees, bawling your eyes out. You'd be crying. You're joking, right? Did they kill the person? No, I know I did. Yet, you're not paying the penalty for it. That's the reality of what Jesus did for us. And that should be reason enough to rejoice. 1 Peter 2, 8, the end of it, and then verse 9 as well. New Living Translation. This, and I put the end of 8 just to bring it into context. It says, they stumble because they do not obey God's word. This is talking about people that don't love Jesus. They don't know him. They're not following him. They've rejected the truth. They don't want to believe. It says, because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. Look to your neighbor and say, that's not you. It's not you. You are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. Royalty. Look to your neighbor and say, you're royalty. royalty. Gentlemen, not ladies, okay? (laughs) You're a princess. (laughs) A holy nation. Ian, don't be mean. Fruit of the Spirit's kindness. There you go. A holy nation, God's very own possession. You belong to God. That's what that says. It says you don't belong to the devil. You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to the things of this earth. You belong to Jesus. You're his. If you follow Jesus, that's, what, that's the truth. That's reality. As a result, here's what it is. As a result, you can show others what? What does it say? You can show others the goodness of God. The world doesn't believe God's good. The world is told that he's not. And they tell other people he's not. But this is why we're here still. To say, God's good. God's amazing. Well, I don't see that. Well, let me show you how. Let me show you the truth that he is good. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You share your testimony. You say, I was in darkness. I was sinning. I was living for myself. And then Jesus showed up and changed all of that. I realized, wow, this is not how I'm supposed to live. This was never meant to be how it is. And then you choose to give your life to him, and your life is never the same. You have joy like you've never had before. You have peace. You have love. You have goodness in your life. You have people faithful. You can be faithful. You have self-control. As a teenager, that's amazing. Right? A little bit, right? If you put your trust in Jesus, you have great reason to rejoice. You have incredible reason to be filled with joy. Maybe you think, well, yeah, but I have a lot of reason not to be. We've got a lot of reasons not to be full of joy. I have a lot of reasons not to be rejoicing. Yeah, that may be true. 
those realities are there. But like I said, joy is a choice. It's one that you choose to make. It really comes down to two things in, I, in, in my mind. As, as I was studying, this is what I found. You lose your love for God or you lose your love for others. That's how you lose your joy. Because it's not something that can be taken from you. It's something that you give up. It's something that you lose. John, I lost the game. <laughs> I just want to get that recorded. I'll take that moment to drink some water. <laughs> joy isn't something that you have taken from you. It's not stolen from you. Somebody can't steal your joy. They only convince you to get rid of it. They only convince you to lose it. And the ways that we lose it are we lose our love for God, the reality that he loves us and we love him. Like I read in the beginning, abide in him and you'll be filled with his love and his love will fill you to fill other people. Or your love for yourself grows greater than love for others. You choose to live for yourself instead. David had this happen. David, in reality, lost both of these things. He lost his love for God, and he also lost his love for other people. At a moment when he chose to sin greatly against God and against people. <laughs> and there's a prayer that he says. It's in Psalm, 30, or, uh, Psalm 51. If you want to read it yourself, you can go. But in Psalm 51, he fails miserably. He's found out for it. God, in his mercy and grace, uncovers it instead of removes him. And the response that he has, he says, Lord, renew the joy of my salvation. Remind me I'm yours. <laughs> and that's reason to rejoice. That my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by you, made clean. And he says, if I'm not made clean, clean me, Lord. You clean me, I'll be clean. <laughs> I know it will be true. He sinned against God. As a result, he lost the love for him that he used to have. And then he needed to get it back. Here's how you receive a spirit of joy and keep a spirit of joy. It's found in John 15. I read a little bit earlier, but this is a few verses after. John 15, 8 through 12. It says, By this my Father is glorified. This is Jesus talking. That you bear much fruit. If you want your life to give God glory, fruits of the Spirit need to be present. They need to be in your life. And the more fruit you have in your life of the Spirit, the more God is glorified by it. You prove to be my disciples. It's pretty obvious people that actually love Jesus. They're the most loving people. They're the most patient people. They're the kindest people. They are the most peaceful people. They're the most gentle people. You just go through all of them. It's clear. It's obvious. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's amazing. You guys think Jesus was loved by God the Father a lot? <laughs> yeah. 
Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do you, how do you stay in your love? How do you abide in it? Oh, by keeping my commandments. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's like, listen, I did this to show an example for you to do it. And then when you slip up, when you fail, I'm there to cover you, to lift you back up when you fall down. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. There's that word joy. (laughs) That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be what? Full. Say full. Full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love and joy are directly connected to one another. You can't rip them apart. You can't separate them. Love and joy are directly connected. You cannot be a truly joyful person and an unloving person at the same time. It's not possible. (laughs) Here's an example of someone who is full of joy. Someone whose joy was full. This book here, honestly, I was, I was filled with joy when I got this book. I gave this to somebody like a year ago. And they were a college student, and then I never saw them again. And they go to tech here, and then they came back. And I'm like, I know that tech students are back, and I never showed up. A year went by, and I'm like, whatever. I'll just accept it. The book's not coming back. <laughs> I was very sad. But then this Sunday, they gave it to me. I was like, this is great. And then I just felt like I was supposed to find a story in here that fits the message today about somebody who is full of joy. This book is all about people who have died for their faith. It's full of a bunch of stories. Yes, it's Book of Martyrs, Jesus Freaks, Martyrs, and it says stories of those who stood for Jesus and they paid the ultimate price. So here's one example. This is in the 1940s. Long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, right? <laughs> Long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this one here is called Jubilant Dance for Jesus. This is a Russian captain. And there was a time, there was a period of time where communism was running rampant over in Europe. And specifically Russia was choosing to live this way. And they were persecuting Christians a lot. Like people were dying for their faith. And if you were somebody who followed Jesus, if you're somebody who believed in the Bible, they would try to re-educate you, to change your mind, convince you that it's not true, or they'd kill you, or torture you for a long time until they think that you're going to give in and then kill you. Anyway, so this is a Russian captain, Romania, because this was a country that was under the control of, of Russia at the time. Christianity has become dramatic with us, wrote Pastor Richard Wormbrand, who was a pastor who was tortured for Christ for years. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ, if you're interested in that kind of thing. (laughs) A leader of the underground church in communist Romania. When Christians are in free countries, win a soul for Christ. The new believer may become a member of a quietly living church. I was like, man. That's reality. We live here in America. But when those in captive nations win someone, we know that he may have to go to prison and that his children may become orphans. 
The joy of having brought someone to Christ is always mixed with this feeling that there is a price that must be paid. When I was still living behind the Iron Curtain, there's a phrase for the area of Russia that was controlled by communism, and beyond, beyond Russia, because Russia started to convince other countries, says, I had met a Russian captain. He loved God. He longed after God. But he had never seen the Bible. You guys imagine that. He's never seen the Bible before. And here's even more. He had never attended religious services. He'd never been to a church before. And it goes on and says, He had no religious education, but he loved God without the slightest knowledge of him. He barely knew anything about him. And then it says, I read to him the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5 through 7, and the parables of Jesus, which are all throughout the Gospels. After hearing them, he danced around the room in rapturous joy, proclaiming, what a wonderful beauty. How could I live without knowing this Christ? It was the first time that I saw someone jubilating in Christ. He's just so excited. He's just dancing around the room like crazy. Then I made a mistake. I read to him the passion and crucifixion of Christ without having prepared him for this. He had not expected it. When he heard how Christ was beaten, how he was crucified, and that in the end he died, he fell in an armchair and began to weep bitterly. He had believed in a Savior, and now his Savior was dead. I looked at him and was ashamed that I had called myself a Christian and a pastor and a teacher of others. I had never shared the sufferings of Christ as this Russian officer now shared them. Looking at him was, for me, like seeing Mary Magdalene weeping at the foot of the cross or at the empty tomb. Then I read to him the story of the resurrection. When he heard this wonderful news that the Savior arose from the tomb, he slapped his knee and shouted for joy, He is alive! He is alive! Again, he danced around the room, overwhelmed with happiness. I said to him, let us pray. (laughs) Listen to his prayer. He fell on his knees. We fell on his knees together with me. And he did not know our holy phrases. His words of prayer were, Oh God, what a fine chap you are. If I were you and you were me, I would never have forgiven you your sins. But you really are a very nice chap. I love you with all my heart. (laughs) That's great, right? (laughs) I think that all the angels in heaven stopped what they were doing to listen to this sublime prayer from this Russian officer. When this man received Christ, he knew he would immediately lose his position as an officer. That prison and perhaps death in jail would almost surely follow. He gladly paid the price. He was ready to lose everything. Your circumstances don't determine your joy. This man was full of joy. And it caused him to do what many people would say would be unthinkable. To give everything up. 
But really, that's the reality of what being a Christian is. Is saying, I'm not mine anymore. I was bought with a price. And I'll pay the ultimate price if I have to. This is what joy looks like. This book is full of examples of people who, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of being beaten for their faith, they look up at the person who's persecuting them, and their eyes are glowing with fire. Their face is like golden. And it's clear. Nothing can hold them back from doing whatever Jesus wants them to, even if it means looking at the face of their persecutors and saying, I love you. It doesn't matter what you do to me. You can't take this from me. (laughs) Because joy can't be taken. It can only be given up. It's a choice that you make to let it go (laughs) or choose to hold on to it and keep it and run with it. Joy is what it's going to take to go through life. It even says in Scripture that because of the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. If he didn't have the joy, he would have never done it. He never would have got there. But because of the joy that he was given, he endured all the way to the end and said, it's not my life, it's not my choice, it's not my will, it's yours. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be somebody who has the fruits of the Spirit. This one is present. And it's an important one. Amen? Let's stand on up. We'll get into groups here. Leaders, come on forward. I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you for the examples of people that have chosen to live their life for you at any cost. Nothing held them back. God, if there's any... Anything inside of us that's stirring, saying, wow, I've never really had this jubilant praise in me when I think about what my Savior did for me. God, I pray that this would be something that grabs a hold of our heart. It changes us. It makes us different. That when we walk out of this building, we're full of joy, unexplainable, and we have nothing that we would choose to hold back from you that we would choose to live our life for you and that you would fill us with joy and that our joy would be full. In Jesus' name, amen.